The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. And good Wednesday morning and welcome to a hump day edition of Analyze This here on your NPR station. <laughs> WTJXFM with yours truly Neville GM. It is a gorgeous day in paradise. Sun in full, full blare, early, mor- early morning full blare. And um, visibility and that great as it relates to me. Uh, seeing the outline for Western St. John and Eastern St. Thomas. I've been that way for a while. I've been keeping an eye on that. Next time we talk to the National Water Service, I can ask them why visibility ain't like how it was um, in the past, in particular around this time uh, two years ago. The latter part of 2020, Early 2021, visibility was excellent. Since then, for some reason, well, no, we had great visibility since then, but for some, um, I rung now, so for some reason, the visibility ain't, uh, ain't as clear like, uh, you, like it used to be. So we're going to uh, inquire with the National Weather Service as to why they may be. Got a great show today. We got the um, Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency uh, Management Agency Vite Team as uh, director joining us as he does uh, on a particular Wednesday of the month. And then hour number two, uh, the second of two visits by the Department of Agriculture in advance of this weekend's Virgin Islands uh, 2023 AgriFest returning back to its staple weekend of President's Day weekend here on the Big Island. So let me get straight to um, Director Josh, Darrell Josh, and uh, good morning, Mr. Director. How are you? Hey, fantastic. Good morning, Neville. I'm over here on the island of St. John. So uh, at the EOC, as my responsibility to take me to all three islands, as you know, and sometimes go to Water Island. Nah, man, so I have to do this over the phone this morning, but I appreciate the opportunity to come talk to you and, and share with the community today. Nah, man. Um, anytime you're over there on... And St. John, we're good with that, you know. So that's that's okay with us. Um, by the way, how's the weather? Is it as lovely over there as it is on the Big Island? Yes, sir. It's it, bring your sunglasses. It's a nice, uh, beautiful day over here on, on St. John. Chamber of Commerce Day, huh? That's good. We like exactly. that. We like that. So how you been? Very, very good. We're over here. Actually, we have the uh, swearing-in ceremony for Commissioner of Education, Dr. Dion Wells-Harrington, happening at 10 o'clock this morning at Battery Park. Okay. Here that's awesome. So we're all supporting her and a fantastic uh, you know, event for the, the cabinet participate in recognition for her hard work and going to the, the cabinet position for the Department of Education. Nah, man, congratulations uh, to the administration and personally to um, uh, Commissioner Wells Hendrington um, to s- soon to officially be, because uh, right now I think she's a commissioner designee because she's, she's been approved by the legislature. Exactly. So yes. now this, this formality... Um, yep, we're, we're uh, the chance for her to really get in the community. She's from St. John, so obviously a lot of her family will be here, of course. Nah, uh, we look forward to that. 
Uh, so the other thing we're doing is we're doing a lot of tsunami um, testing right now, so I can talk about that for a little bit when we're ready. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Just definitely want to give um, Commissioner Wells Hendrington her propers and and uh, wish her well and congratulate St. John as well. One of their own um, is heading the biggest agency uh, in in government. So um, we're in the downtime, so to speak, um, gearing up for, um, uh, I guess, what, June 1st? That's when, that's when the hurricane season starts? Well, yeah, Mother Nature always has a vote, I say. Uh, but uh, the official start of June, uh, hurricane season in the Atlantic is, is June 1st, and it will stay with us officially until November 30th e- each year. So we have a lot of activities that we're preparing to do between now and, and June 1st, and we actually have what's called a capstone exercise we do every year um, with Federal Emergency Management Agency coming down here with their staff, all the agencies stand up. And we're looking at always each year you know, improving our abilities and capabilities and communication. Uh, so we do have about probably 17 to 18 initiatives that we're doing. Um, a lot of it's going to be focused on initial recovery is sort of the theme for us, you know, going into this hurricane season. You know, typically we've talked about what activities do you do before storms and getting sandbags out and, you know, getting the messaging out. But this really is what actions we need to take, you know, immediately after that that storm to start. We talk about the community lifelines and reestablishing, uh, assessing our lifelines and getting them back to a green status. It could be anywhere from, you know, patient movement and evacuation requirements to power generation to emergency communications, restoration, uh, to really individual assistance. And so we have some themes coming up this year, working with Governor Bryan and all the agencies that are lead agencies, as well as we're working with the private sector this year. We started it last year, and we really appreciate the private sector supporting us and their individual efforts, as well as collective efforts on operation centers, too. No, that's that's, that's good that we're um, staying ahead of the curve. Now, um, every March we do something with respect to... Um, tsunamis or earthquakes there's a there's a uh, uh, a routine um that is headquartered out of puerto rico yeah there, there are two key months we look at the, the month of march is really the combination focus of a tsunami based upon a a, a regional event which could, typically could be a an earthquake somewhere but also could be caused by a volcano or underwater you know landslide or some other things but traditionally it, it's a uh, an earthquake then driven drives a scenario that gives us a, a need to, to have a drill to seek uh, higher elevation um, and safe accountability for you know schools and businesses and individuals and that's what we call carib wave so carib wave is what's coming up and this year uh, because of some conflicts and scheduling with other events that are you know outside of our control we're going to do on the 16th of march um, and usually it's about 10 o'clock in the morning We'll do it, and the difference between the, you know, the monthly testing of the sirens in this particular event on the, in March is we're also going to send out the alert messages. The alert messages you can get on the Alert BI system, which is by a subscription you sign up in Everbridge. Um, we send that out to your phones and text messages and send you um, emails. And then we also be sending out the iPods messaging, which is the integrated public alert warning system that all anybody connected to a cell tower with their device will be able to get the text message also on this. So it'll be a, an exercise, 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 but we want to make sure that, you know, we not just, you know, sound at the sirens, which we'll be doing also, but we want to have action taken um, to a lot of the agencies, especially our schools, are, we're trying to get them to participate in their evacuation drills. Um, our magic elevation concern is 80 feet. 
So if the school is located below 80 feet, we want them to try to exercise getting the students evacuated quickly and getting to that safe elevation and accountability and then giving the all clear and then returning back to the classroom. So we'll do that with education. Uh, agencies will be doing that. I'll be running my emergency management council meeting that day, which is uh, coming up in, in each, each month. I have it the third Thursday also. So we'll be doing that. The cabinet will be exercising, walking up the hill um, on St. Croix, St. John. We're basically ready to go up here at the high elevation. And St. Thomas, the, uh, the EOC there is at a, a vulnerable site, so they're going to have to get out and go to an evacuation area, which is up located by, by Niski Center. So a little bit of efforts going forward. We appreciate everybody who wants to get involved with that. Please look at our Vitima web pages and our Facebook pages for more information on how you can participate in Carib Wave uh, in March 16th. And then um, is there another routine that um, we go through before um, we get to the hurricane season? Well, the second event actually is in October, and it's called the Great Shakeout. And that's where we, we practice drop, cover, and hold um, foot on, a, on an earthquake scenario. So that is in, in hurricane season, but this is something that's worldwide. They're not just focused on the Virgin Islands or the Caribbean. Um, it's worldwide. And we had, I think, over, good gosh, like 19,000 people participate in whatever shape or fashion last year to include some people recording videos. And it was fantastic. The, the St. John legislature every year sends a wonderful video of their, their drop, cover, and hold. And we always look forward to those, that feedback and videos that come back. We post those on, on our Facebook page also. So participation and awareness is, is part of it, but also practicing um, what you would do actually in a, an event and communication to your family members, what would happen if you have an, an earthquake. You know what happened? You know, in Turkey and Syria, you know, those were devastating earthquakes, killing thousands of people. Uh, we're not quite in that zone, if you will, but we are in the zone um, the plate tonics that we do have occasional earthquakes. You do feel them. And if you go back to 1867, uh, that time frame, we had just gone through a hurricane. And then after that, we had an earthquake based upon the Anagata Trench, which is between St. Thomas and St. Croix, which unfortunately did generate a tsunami. So we do have history down here that we do have some... some uh, potential for and history that says we do have the opportunity to have a disaster that can be earthquake generated but in, in conjunction with a tsunami so that's why we're doing every month um, the third thursday we're doing the testing the sirens and it's just to get to know the sound and we've had lots of education i'd use that word about you know where our sirens are and we've been reaching out to the community to participate and letting us know feedback where if they hear it sounding um, last couple of times we've done it we've done the, done the actual tone itself and there's been a, a audio that says this is a test, this is a test. And we've realized some of the challenges right now is we think there's the, the amount of um, kilobytes it takes to send that, that tone out and that message out is uh, not uh, successful right now. In some cases, we're working with American Signal to get what's called the SD cards put at each one of the siren tone locations that will let us do both tone and audio. But right now, we're just going to do the tone, which should give us a little bit more so I have some real challenges on St. Croix because we have a repeater that has to get up there on St. George's Hill to provide communications to about six or seven of our sites that are located in the western end by Frederickstead, and that's a very vulnerable area. And we know that right now they will not sound most likely because that repeater is not up. Uh, we keep looking at it being up the next week, the next week, the next week, but right now um, most likely for tomorrow's testing um, it won't be up. But for the Carib Wave in, in the 16th of March, we want to get it up and basically have a good, successful test on all, all four islands, to include Water Island. That's good. By the way, how's the um, 
when you wanted when you were uh, attempting to do the test the sirene test um there were some some infrastructure that were non-functional have you have you addressed that well i guess addressing it it has to do with the siren poles themselves you know we had the you know 1.4 million dollar you know uh, public assistance repair project that was done and those repaired those components that were identified after the hurricane that were damaged you know we found out you know part of the process we've had some of those poles have been hit by lightning also since then there's some other components that we're realizing were not working also so part of this is really uh, finding out you know which which poles are working well and you know, we have a percentage of those in some cases a small percentage in some cases, uh, we're trying to find out exactly what the symptoms are. If this repeater, for example, is an example, it's not really a pole issue. It's more a communications issue. Uh, but we do have some known locations that we have on St. Thomas. We have, you know, an actual, the top of the pole not on. We're working with American Signal to get time frame to get that set up. All this is under warranty. So we appreciate their help and support doing this. That new server had to get set up on St. Croix. Um, we put, put these back up. So there's a lot of things that are sort of in that, you know, backhaul area, I would say. There's some cases just re-aiming some of the antennas, their directional antennas. This is all by radio frequency. So we have to go back and look at some of the antenna um, formations to make sure it's going right towards the repeater. So there's some things that we're learning on each process, and we're having meetings every week. Um, I have an internal meeting. It's called a uh, tsunami working group. We've been doing it for about, about two years now, actually. And all of it is part of the preparation, the understanding. Uh, we actually execute um, the test as well as the actual event at our 911 center. So part of this is making sure we have procedures and protocols that are set up to make sure that we can evaluate the, the protocols as well as get the reports back on what sirens are working or not working and some reasons why they're not working. You know, for example, within the 911 center, um, on the initiation of the software, we're able to what's called pull each site. It gives us sort of a green, amber, red status on the communications piece of this. So if it comes back red, it means, okay, something's not right in that communications uh, radio frequency channel, and we have to go back and troubleshoot that. And we know most likely um, it will not sound because without that communications link. So there's a, a bunch of series of uh, discoveries we're doing, and we have a great communication with the vendor. It's a matter of just getting that vendor, get the, the staff together, some of the parts, and again, to put this this uh, card in each one of those uh, siren sites will give us the ability to uh, function um, with that tone and the audio. And again, with the tone and audio, uh, the tone will be the consistent tone, but they don't have the audio that's going to say, you know, this is a test or this is an actual, you know, tsunami. And once it's done, this is an all clear. So you know, the all clear is always a question because it's not like, you know, it's going to come in and leave in a matter of five or ten minutes. Waves come through with tsunamis. We saw this um, after Tonga erupted. You know, uh, the Alaskan Aleutian chain had like six or seven waves that came through. And we're also looking at the conditions in which we actually would, would, you know, sound the sirens. We'd only sound them under the condition that you would have a, uh, a large tsunami, which is by definition above three feet. Uh, that's considered a, a large tsunami, a wave approaching us. Um, below between one and three feet, that's not a condition right now to sound the tsunami siren. A lot has to do with the communication between the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center in Hawaii and FITEMA uh, to make sure we interpret those messages that come out. Because, again, it, actually the sounding of those alarms are done from FITEMA uh, itself. The messaging that you'll get on your phones, like that's happening today after an earthquake, you get a message from the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center. 
Um, that's all automatically generated from the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center. And if an earthquake does happen, that would be significant for a potential tsunami wave. It's going to take about 10 minutes for the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center to analyze that data and provide the forecast to us with the time of arrival on St. Thomas and St. Croix and St. John, as well as the height of the wave. And, of course, we want to get the information out to the community as fast as we can. No, that's, 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 that's awesome. And it really speaks to um, a lot of the technical aspects that, that's necessary for uh, the sum of the parts to equal a functioning whole, correct? It, it, it is. And I think part of this is the you know, outreach to the community to let them know that, you know, we're, we're working. Uh, we want you to be giving us feedback also. And those that are, are sounding, you know, we like to get the feedback on those. And, and again, in, you know, with the wind conditions, the wind directions, um, it's going to change the level of which you get, you hear that tone. If it's not a windy day, um, areas that are, you know, basically considered upwind, if you will, will probably hear the tone. If it's a very, very windy day, you may not hear the one closest to you. You may hear one that's considered, you know, upwind that you'll hear it, it'll hear it come down. And I think the tone is the key because that goes a much longer distance. And I can't tell you right now if it's a half a mile or a mile distance, but you'll hear it longer. Uh, or higher up the elevation, the, the pole is also, like I talked to uh, in the British Virgin Islands, they do their tsunami sirens. They have some on higher elevations, and they actually have better coverage than the higher elevations for those sounding as opposed to ones that are down in the towns or on the beach areas. So it's an interesting you know, evolution of getting us back into the, the know, know of this, and I really want to make sure the community understands what we're doing and you get to know that tone. Right now, we just have the, the one tone. And that's why, you know, other states and other areas like Hawaii, for example, um, they have two different siren tones. One indicates a tsunami warning and one indicates a uh, potential, you know, anti-ballistic missile, you know, you know incoming. Different, different tones, different meanings, but when they had the uh, earthquake and they had or the Tonga eruption and that generated the early setting tone in Hawaii, there's a lot of confusion with the community of what, what that tone meant. What, what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll take a break right now and get a little bit more specific with that. We've got the Vitima director, Daryl Jackson, joining us this morning. Take a break. Be back right after this. The news nowadays is a bit like our weather, much more extreme. The headlines that grab the most attention generate a lot of heat and not much light. On 1A, we rely on your questions and stories to help us better understand the issues that demand more than a few tweets. With your help, we'll get to the heart of the story together. Catch 1A at its new time, weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. During a busy day, it can be hard to make room for even one more thing. So it's a real plus that All Things Considered from NPR News is great for multitaskers. You can confidently add being well-informed to your to-do list and know that you will get it done. Whether you're cleaning out your junk drawer on a quick drive or something else, listen to All Things Considered every weekday afternoon. From 5 to 8 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1. Welcome to the Virgin Islands. The USVI Caribbean Music Festival on St. Croix officially launches on Friday, February 17th. This is a free community event presented by the U.S. Virgin Islands Department of Tourism, curated by the United Jazz Foundation in collaboration with Jazz at Lincoln Center, and sponsored by the VI Lottery. 
The event runs from 6.30 to 11.30 p.m. along the Waterfront Promenade in Fredericksdale and features Grammy Award-winning jazz vocalist Diane Reeves, Marsvin Davids, Caribbean Players of St. Croix, and Calvin Johnson and native son of New Orleans. For more information, CaribbeanMusicHeritage.org or 646-725-3353. And we're back here on Analyze This, and we're having a, a great conversation with the uh, Vitima Director, Daryl Jashin. Uh, good morning once again, Director Jashin. Hey, good morning. Well, thanks again for the opportunity to come on the air and talk to you and talk to the community. That's awesome. Now, um, let me let me ask this question as it relates to the calendar year for your agency. This is the middle of February. Um, the governor has to submit a budget to the legislature by the end of May. At what point do you have to submit your your estimates to the OMB director as the governor prepares the budget for your agency? Uh, that was on the 3rd of uh, February. Oh, so so we've already done our 2024 and 2025 budget. We've already submitted our supplemental budget. Uh, exactly. So we've done a lot of hard work, and, you know, we do we have a lot of federal grants, but we do have a lot of support we need uh, from the government of Virgin Islands and our funding requirements. What about um, personnel? Uh, are you where you need to be? Are you fully complimented, or, or do you have any vacancies right now that you're looking to fill? Yeah, we always have vacancies, I would say. Again, staff comes in, staff stays for a long time. Some staff rotate through in the promotions, and they, they get you know, better-paying jobs. Uh, we always have those those needs. I had a chance to go to the legislature uh, last Tuesday with Senator Gittins and the Committee on Homeland Security, Justice, and Public Safety. We talked about the challenges for, for 911 and 911. Um, I think, you know, you are basically, I have a calling for 911, I'd say. A lot of individuals, it's a very high-stress environment. Uh, recruiting is, is difficult, I would say, for that because you have to pass a, a test. It's a, a functional test, if you, if you will, on how you can you know, operate phones and, and computers all at the same time and handle some stress. And, and very few people have been successful passing that test. Uh, but we have had some onboarding coming forward. Uh, but we definitely want to be able to reach out and get some more uh, staffing for 911 above St. Thomas and St. Croix where my two nine one one dispatches are. We just finished upgrading our, our brand new telephone system. We have a new uh, computer aided dispatch system that came in about two years ago with BIT support. So a lot of technology improvements are happening. We're getting individuals certified in some of these uh, response cards, especially for the medical side. So it's really a great place to be today. Uh, there is no requirement. You know, we talked about you know being bilingual or not. Uh, we use what's called a language line which uh, in a matter of between probably three to five seconds, we actually get a real person on the line that covers about 100 different languages. Obviously, for us here in the territories, English, uh, Spanish, and the French or Haitian patois is what we work with primarily. But if you have someone that needs help and assistance coming off a cruise ship that speaks Chinese, um, 911 can support you with Chinese, whatever is Mandarin, with a real person with their language line. We've been using that for the last three years now. I've been very successful with that. But that, that's one of the strong areas we're looking for also. Uh, we do have a, a new uh, position or unit coming on board, which is called Functional Disability Unit, which 
to be under my planning preparedness side of the house. So we're working with the legislature to finalize some funding for that and then get out and get a hire for two individuals and one each district. That is very important in our functional disability side of the house with outreach during times of blue skies like we have now or during a disaster itself. It's really outreach and support with the federal support on, on outreach uh, for the uh, functional disability community here. Uh, we also have, uh, since we're going through our emergency management accreditation program, uh, there's a lot of requirements for documentation and maintaining documentation and plans. So I've asked uh, Governor Bryan if he can hire a person that does document control, subject to his approval for that. Um, and there's one or two more p positions we're looking at filling. I have an EOC supervisor position over here on St. Thomas that we'd like to fill immediately. And so our deputy director, uh, Philomene, as it's working with Division of Personnel, get those postings out. And we look at hiring internally first uh, for someone who has demonstrated good skills and abilities and would like to move up, um, as well as going outside the community um, to try to get some, some staffing. Uh, Governor Bryan tries to um, tell us to keep away from, you know, talking to other agencies to pull staff in. But if I have a best qualified candidate, um, I, I will look at bringing staff in from another agency, and I'll let the commissioner director know. Hey, I, you know, I appreciate you have a t uh, tremendous talent of person. Person, I want to join the my team. Team. So that that's what we have going on. And uh, personnel is always a challenge for a lot of uh, staffs. We don't our, our pay is always a challenge, especially if you're trying to compare what we pay in a territory compared to another federal agency. Uh, we just we don't have the uh, dollars and cents, but we want to make sure we do have parity uh, amongst the you know, agencies as best we can. Now, um, let's talk about the shelters that you're responsible for. I know over the years we've had numerous conversations and you were doing things to um, enhance uh, the shelters for obvious reasons. I know you were doing a, a joint thing with the Energy Department for... Um, the educational complex um, to provide um, generators and, and, and things of that nature for uh, other uh, schools that serve as shelters uh, during uh, the hurricane window. Can you speak a little bit to that? Where are we at? Okay. Uh, we're referring to uh, uh, Director Kyle Fleming from VI Energy Office. He has a separate initiative that he has been going on for at least since, I say, several years working with him, and this is on complex. Uh, it's going to be the east end of complex. They have a, a field out there. He's looking at setting up a, a, a solar grid, I would call, that would be that. When I talked to him about a month ago, he indicated most likely that's going to be up in operational October time frame of this year. So it will be toward the end of hurricane season, again, subject to availability of supply chain parts. It seems to be always one of those things. You run into as well as the ability to get um, you know good good labor to come out and you know vendor support, but that's something that uh, is identified. But I'm not counting on that for, for this year. Uh, on St. Croix, you know, my team has you know with Governor Bryan, um, give us the approval to, uh, to get go purchase uh, 10 100 kilowatt generators. Uh, I think three years ago, so we have four of those generators on St. Croix. We have four on St. Thomas, and we have two on on St. John. The purpose of supporting shelters, wherever the shelter is, it could be um, in a education site, it could be, you know, which is complex in SeaTac, it could be DC Canagata, which is another site for us in Christiansted, outside Christiansted with the generators there right now. Uh, we have them available uh, on St. You know, Thomas to help out Eudora Kent schools. We have two being positioned right now, one at the gymnasium and one at the, uh, the cafeteria side of Eudora Kent as a shelter. 
website for that. Lockhart already has a generator there every year across from Schneider Regional Center that the school the school is finished after. And the power generation piece has always been fantastic, so I appreciate everybody at the Department of Education who supported that. Uh, over on Water Island, there's the community center slash firehouse. Um, has a generator working there maintained by those that live on, on Water Island with uh, the volunteer rescue department, so I appreciate their help and support. And Director George from Fire um, is watching that area very closely. And then over on St. John, uh, we have Adrian Senior Center that has a generator set up there, um, and, and so that's identified right now. We do have a meeting this morning um, over here on St. John with a couple of individuals to talk about other possible shelters. Can Mr. Kazi Gomez will join me um, early this afternoon as we continue to look at, at other options for um, the island of St. John. Now that's, uh, that's good to hear that uh, from an infrastructure standpoint, our shelters are um, in, good, in good shape and, and looking at um, getting even more enhancements um, as yeah, we head towards yeah. the towards yeah. um, that that hurricane uh, cycle. So the, the tropical weather outlook that starts in the middle of May. Um, right now, um, we're going through um, what's supposed to be the dry season, but we've been getting some intermittent showers. We've been talking with the National Weather Service about this. Um, who does the the weather observation? Uh, who has the weather observation responsibilities at Vitima? Responsibilities are collectively through operations, my, myself, and really reaching out to the National Weather Service in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the key for that. There is no dedicated you know, individual or individuals, but we have very tight relationships um, with the National Weather Service in Puerto Rico. Obviously, the hurricane hunters come here and they, they provide information up to the National Hurricane Center, and they give you the, the big, broad strokes about, you know, hurricanes are coming, here's anticipated, and they all focus you know, potentially Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. They talk about, you know, lesser Antilles, greater Antilles. They talk about maybe East Coast, West Coast. But the Puerto Rico National Weather Service, they focus in specifically on the so what to the territory of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And that's why they're so good for us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they will talk about specifically what's happening. They project for the island of St. Croix, they talk about St. Thomas, St. John. They want to put a uh, potential weather station over here in St. John. They talk yeah. about last year yeah they can't uh, the one um they've been they've made some visits to st john recently yeah. and um they, they spoke with us um about that and, and people tend to take those things for granted but they are critical those are critical pieces of infrastructure that can serve as um significant uh, advisory uh, mechanisms to keep us abreast of what's 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 going on and what could be developing right because things can develop develop rather quickly it, exactly and and one of the things that was damaged after Irma Maria and what's now been restored on the island of St. Thomas out towards Red Hook is the actual repeater that provides 24-hour-a-day reportings of the weather um, um, predictions as well as some of the maritime wave heights and what's going on, both in English and Spanish. But you have to have um, a, a weather receiver radio. If you buy one of the ones that you know, has a weather band on it, most of the maritime have it, and you turn in that weather band, you can get that recording for 24 hours a day plus. Um, they will do the test every once a month on their alert system and they will send out um, tone alerts and well, audio alerts uh, if a you know a hurricane warning comes up or a tropical storm warning comes up. When that warning level hits, um, they will put out the message uh, on, on that weather band. They've also asked me a couple of times if there's a specific message you want, I want to put out, um, they, will, they will broadcast that out. I can make contact with them and they'll put it out, out over that band, which is a fantastic, you know, multiplier for us to get the word to the community, especially our maritime side, 
because uh, not always you know, you're within earshot of hearing um, what's coming out on the radio station, but that, that weather band gives you some more details going forward. That's good. Let me ask this final couple of questions because I'm going to let you go because I know you got uh, things you got to do and you're dealing with um, preparations for um, probably want to get some things done before the 10 o'clock uh, event. Um, if we have young people who are interested in, in Vitima and all of the different aspects that come with territorial uh, emergency uh, management, are you looking at um, doing something conjunctively with uh, the Department of Education because we, we have young people who are interested in and things of this nature? Yeah, I, I say definitely yes. A, a couple of things. One, the on St. Croix at the Agricultural Fair this weekend. Um, look for the Vitima uh, booths. We'll have one to entrance uh, between Vitima. We also have what's called Partners in Preparedness. So we'll be joining us there with that, which will be sponsored by Crowley's and Anil's and, and Home Depot. There's going to be a, probably a generator giveaway information. So, that, that you know, if you're used to come out and visit one of our, our tables, out there and say hi to the team and staff. Some even to get involved. Um, last year we had a couple of different competitions, um, and some were based upon coming up with social media uh, videos. Some were writing essays. Uh, some were developing posters that were based around. You know, we had a theme of supply chain, and so we had you know, two individuals had won the uh, the the, uh, the competitions that they became the director for today. Um, on St. Croix, and we had an assistant director for the day on St. Thomas. They spent the whole day with us, a great way. We had two juniors that were part of that, so they're back for seniors uh, this year. So it's a great way to get involved. We will we'll hopefully um, get going our, our community emergency response team training, which is called CERT. Uh, Deputy Director Regina Brown will get that going. Uh, we're sort of working with junior firefighters right now. They've gone through a couple of training sessions. We have one more piece to go with them. Um, so that's a great way to get involved in the community, uh, but we definitely want to get the youth involved as best that we can. A lot of it we do through the schools and schools outreach. So, you know, the students, if they're provided information, it, and it could be as simple as, you know, what to do during an earthquake, uh, what to do during a tsunami, take that information back to your home, to your family, your mom, your aunties, uh, and let them know what you're learning. Uh, but we definitely like to work with, with the youth uh, of today, which hopefully will be potentially, you know, our young emergency managers of, of tomorrow. Um, and even though, you know, just trying to understand what Vitima consists of. Um, it's just more than just hurricanes. We do the tsunamis, we do the earthquakes. Uh, we talk about the pandemics, of course. We talk about cybersecurity that's going on. Uh, we have a fusion center, so things that are, are very much sensitive in nature. We work with the, the national level assets to, to work on um, support for the community. So a lot of things that we do, and we look at the opportunity to work with all individuals. And then please, again, at the Ag Fair this weekend, you know, the 18th, and 19th, and 20th, come out and say hi to us. So you will have a booth at the fair this weekend. Um, folks can have some um, the paraphernalia available for yes, them to access. Yes, very much. Uh, we have all sorts of, uh, we'll have some FEMA uh, representatives there also, so get some FEMA information for parents' activities. We will have tsunami awareness things. We will most likely have, you know, the uh, hurricane maps that will be out there. We'll have some checklists for you to prepare for hurricanes, which you should have at home when you, you prepare for your kit. Um, we talk about always being prepared you know, you know, staying informed and always being vigilant. Those are the, the models for us. And the last thing I would say, not just for the youth, because youth it doesn't matter for them, but you know, businesses that want to get, you know, anticipate being out and about if a curfew happens, you know, the process to get a curfew passed. So don't forget, you know, now is the time to go to our Facebook page, come to my team, I get that information, so your businesses can apply for that that curfew pass, and that that window will be closing here on one June. 
So please, the month of you know February, March, April, and May, get those, those, those submissions to us so we can get you those curfew passes, not to every single person, but we're looking at maybe uh, 5%, 10% of your, your business that can be there that has to be out and about when we've said it's dangerous to be on the road and the first responders are out there. But if you have a, a need and you do work with the first responder committee or you have a critical infrastructure, uh, we want you to be able to get your, your hurricane passes, curfew passes, so I don't have to start saying no um, coming August, September, and October because we're focused, as you know, on tracking hurricanes, not giving out passes. Correct. Director Daryl Jackson from the Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency, thank you very much for making some time, giving us an update as to um, where your agency is uh, in this quote-unquote down period, um, this recalibration window, and then uh, looking forward to talking with you sometime in the future. Appreciate that. Maybe we'll get back sometime in March when we do the Carib Wave. Yes, sir. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Neville. Thank you, and thank you to the community. You got it. That's um, Daryl Jashin, um, director of the uh, Vitima, Virgin Islands Territorial Management Agency, is over there in St. Thomas today because a daughter of the soil, Commissioner-designee, she's been approved by the legislature, Deanne Wells-Hendrington, uh, is going to be sworn in officially and St. John. So family could be there and all that good stuff. That has to be a, a proud moment for her, her family, for the Brian, and Brian Roach administration, Department of Education, and all those good people as they um, you know, continue to provide that leadership for arguably the most important agency in government, the one that, as you just heard uh, Director Jackson mention, uh, are educating and grooming uh, future leaders of the Virgin Islands. We'll take a break. And we'll be back after this. We're going to do our housekeeping, do a little black history, recognize the one and only Benjamin Banneker. Be back right after this. Bye-bye. equals new business opportunities at Bank of St. Croix. Bank of St. Croix offers deposit banking products, business online platforms, and commercial loans. Their SBA lending department offers financing options and access to capital for businesses. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallus Bay, 340-773-8500, and one in Peters Rest, 340-713-8500. Bank of St. Croix is an equal housing lender. Bankofstcroix.com. He said that black smoke was constantly coming out of the burn pits 24-7. And my reaction to it was like, wow, that doesn't sound very safe. I wonder what that's about. And in my mind, I couldn't imagine at the time that type of system operating could potentially harm our service members. Journalism that seeks and reveals. That's On Point with me, Magna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. The Forum, a nonprofit organization since 1996, is proud to present Florida Tuluachi, Latin Grammy winners, first and only all women mariachi group in New York City. Saturday, February 18th, 8 p.m., at the Prior Jolic Hall on Antilles campus. This female ensemble weaves an arsenal of jazz, classical, salsa, cumbia, rock 
country, and hip-hop to produce an edgy take on traditional Mexican music. The courtyard opens at 7 p.m. with Fair from Amalia Cafe. For more information, 646-725-3353, forumusvi at gmail.com or theforumusvi.org. And we're back here on Liz and Laces. I don't know why I said bye bye. Just know when I said we back right after this. That was a clearly a brain cramp. But you know how we're going back, right? Anyway, um just wanted to give you uh, some a programming uh, update tonight uh at uh eight PM. Okay? Facing north, Jefferson Street, Nashville. Nashville's Jefferson Street corridor is a historically black neighborhood. That was a vital, vibrant hub from 1800 to 1960. Once a haven for runaway slaves, it is home to three iconic HBCUs. That's historically uh, black colleges and universities. Fisk University, Meharry Medical College, and Tennessee State University. The ed- that educated doctors, lawyers, and civic leaders. Students from these institutions led peaceful and effective civil rights protests in the 1960s. This documentary conveys what Jefferson Street life was like over the decades, including during segregation, highlighting the importance of home and business ownership and spiritual life as the home of some of Nashville's oldest black churches. Jefferson Street's thriving music scene of the 1940s through 1960s is also covered. Like many African-American centers, this one was forever changed by interstate construction and now struggles to balance rejuvenation with gentrification amid new economic pressures. That's tonight at 8 p.m. on Channel 12, facing north Jefferson Street, Nashville. And when you, you know, list these universities, Fisk University, Meharry Medical College, and uh, Tennessee State University, you know, we got some... Virgin Islanders, prominent Virgin Islanders, who uh, attended these um, institutions of higher learning of tremendous repute. I know Lucy Richards um, um, went to school uh, in this region. Uh, Lewis Taylor, the the, the natural born um, pianist out of the rock. Check. He told me he went to Tennessee State. Uh, you know, he. I like to tease him about. Tal Jones, a football player for the Dallas Cowboys, and then he let me know. Uh, they went to school with Oprah. Apparently, Oprah uh, went to Tennessee State. Uh, and uh, nobody knew that Oprah uh, would turn out to be so successful and become an um, a ATM, <laughs> for the lack of a better, better, better term, you know what I'm saying? So, no, uh, Oprah get the last laugh. You check? Uh, yeah, Oprah went free. Uh, Tennessee State University. Mm. Yep. That worth two and a half billion. You know what I'm saying? So uh when 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 they were, when they had with, with Oprah when she was at TSU, um, I know she getting the last laugh. Uh but no, that's a great a good, you know, good conversation Lewis Taylor and I uh, had uh out of the rack, uh back and swearing in the 
for the 31st legislature in January of 2015. That was a great conversation with Lewis Taylor. I said, you went to Tennessee State? He said, yeah. I said, so you went to school with Tutal? He said, yeah. Because, uh, you know, back then I used to be a big 20-door set Dallas Cowboys fan. But that was a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. Facing North tonight. Okay, talk about Jefferson Street in Nashville. And uh, home of these three iconic HBCUs. Fisk University, Meharry Medical College, and Tennessee State uh, University. So tonight, okay, 8 p.m. Uh, on Channel 12. Now, you know, um, you know, February is Black History Month, and I was looking at uh, Benjamin Banneker, right? And I went to biography.com, and uh, Benjamin Banneker was a largely self-educated mathematician, astronomer, a compiler of almanacs, and a writer. Uh, he was born on uh, October 9th, 1731, and he died on 1806. He died on November 9th, 1806, one month after his 75th uh, birthday. He was a free black man who owned a farm near Baltimore, uh, was largely self-educated in astronomy and mathematics, was later called upon to assist in the surveying of territory for the construction of the nation's capital, also became an active writer of almanacs and exchanged letters with Thomas Jefferson, politely challenging him to do what he could to ensure uh, racial equality. So that's uh, uh, Benjamin Banneker, who had, who had a, um, a very uh, unique ancestry. You know, um, he was the son of an ex-slave <clears throat> named Robert and his wife, Mary Banneke. Mary was the daughter of an English woman named Molly Welch, a former indentured servant, and her husband, Banka, an ex-slave whom she freed and who asserted that he came from tribal royalty in West Africa. And because both of his parents were free, Benjamin escaped the wrath of slavery as well. He was taught to read by his maternal grandmother and for a very short time attended a small Quaker school. Banneker was primarily self-educated, like I said. His early accomplishments including constructing an irrigation system for the family farm and a wooden clock that was reputed to keep accurate time and ran for more than 50 years until his death. In addition, Banneker taught himself astronomy and accurately forecasted lunar and solar eclipses. After his, passing, after his father's passing, he ran his own farm for years, cultivating a business selling tobacco uh, via crops and you know if you go uh, in the Baltimore area um, there's a, a, a town by the name of Ellicott City and, and, and um, George Ellicott um, from the Baltimore area had a large personal library and loaned Banneker numerous books on astronomy and other fields and this is the, the, the beauty of Benjamin Banneker is that um, not all geniuses require formal training. You know, if you have capacity and you want to learn and you focus on something, uh, he is he is proof of this. Banneker's true acclaim came from his almanacs, which he published for six consecutive years during the latter years of his life between 1792 and 1797. That six-year window. So that was in his... Uh, 
in his 60s because he was born in 1731. These handbooks included his own astronomical calculations as well as opinion pieces, literature, and medical and tidal information, with the latter particularly useful to fishermen. Outside of his almanacs, Banneker also published information on bees and calculated the cycle of the 17-year locusts. So I know um, former Commissioner Louis Akil Peterson, uh, he probably knows about this because he's a, a renowned beekeeper. Um, I, didn't, I didn't even know this about uh, Benjamin Banneker. Banneker's accomplishments extended into other realms as well, including civil rights. In 1791, Jefferson was Secretary of State, and Banneker con- considered the respected Virginian, to, though a slaveholder, to also be open to view um, African Americans as more than slaves. Thus, he wrote Jefferson a letter hoping he would readily embrace every opportunity to eradicate the train of absurd and false ideas and opinions which so generally prevail with respect to us. Close quote. To further support his point, Banneker included a handwritten manuscript of an almanac for 1792 containing his astronomical calculations. In his letter, Banneker acknowledged he was quote, of the African race, close quote, and a free man. He recognized that he was taking, quote, a liberty, close quote, writing to Jefferson, which would, which would be unacceptable considering, quote, the almost general prejudice and prepossession, which is so prevalent in the world against those of my complexion, close quote. Banneker then respectively chided Jefferson and other patriots for their hypocrisy, enslaving people like him while fighting the British for their own independence. Wow. Jefferson quickly acknowledged Banneker's letter. Writing a response, he told Banneker that he took, quote, the, letter, the liberty of sending your almanac to Monsieur de Condorcet, Secretary of the French Academy of Sciences, because I consider it as a document to which your whole color had a right for their justification against the doubts which have been entertained of them, close quote. Banneker published Jefferson's letter alongside his original piece of correspondence in his 1793 almanac. Banneker's outspokenness with regard to the issue of slavery earned him the widespread support of the abolitionist societies in Maryland and Pennsylvania, both which helped him to publish his almanac and the letter to Jefferson, which was uh, dated August 30th, 1791, uh, is in the Library of Congress, and you could read all of it uh, at uh, www.biography.com. Just go to the search engine and type in Benjamin Banneker, and you'll see, uh, you never, I mean, you'll see everything you want uh, with respect to him. It's a great website, you know, and um, he died exactly one month after he made 75. <clears throat> on November the 9th in 1731. Uh, and, you know, our contributions uh, to this country are without question. Go check. Not, 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 just, not, not just America, the world. You know, and uh, so makes me feel good to read about uh, the history of um, contributors uh, of uh, black people uh, because, uh, you know, we're going through a very polarized time in our nation, and ever so often, 
you know, got to remind people, you know, that um, we always had it in us, um, you know, to to be major contributors to our evolution as a people. Benjamin Banneker being recognized here and analyzed this uh, on Black History Month um, here, February 15th, um, 2023. And, you know, Pastor Nelson's supposed to be joining me. Uh, he, either, he said he's going to try to be here in person, but if not, he's going to call because, you know, we got a fair coming up. 18th, 19th, and 20th. When he come on, I can remind him of when he and I went to uh, Philly and uh, we, we spoke with impersonators of Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and how uh, positive uh, with his forward self. <laughs> I just tease it. That's how the elderly ladies like to refer to young men, you know, his forward self. I, I'm telling, telling, um, Thomas Jefferson, that uh, he had a way, word has it that he had a way with the ladies. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking forward to reminding Positive about that. And, of course, you know, Jefferson said, and what is wrong with that? You know, so that that was, that was cool. That was a good, you know, uh, time to create some laughter among uh, all of us who was in the first Eastern Leadership Academy for the Council of State Governments back in September of 2005. The good old days, you know, when I wasn't washed up like I am now. <laughs> Having fun with that. <clears throat> so, we recognize the one and only Benjamin Banneker. Great black man, astronomer, mathematician, author of Almanacs, civil rights, recognizer, and voice on behalf of the people. And if you look at the, the timeline there, you know, our first president took office in 1789, that's uh, George Washington. Uh, he served for eight years, and then John Adams served for four years. So, I, so Washington took us to 1797. Um, Adams took us to January 1801. So that means that when um, the great Benjamin Banneker passed away, Jefferson was president because he, he served as president from 1801 to 1809. As a matter of fact, uh, with the first seven presidents, five of them serve the two terms. That would be Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, and Andrew Jackson. One, three, four, five, and seven. The only two who didn't serve eight years out of the, the, uh, the first seven was the father and son. President John Adams and, and President John Quincy Adams, number two and number six. That's interesting. You check. So, <clears throat> you know, when you, you know, that's never like that. You know, that's my thing, right? So, I'd like to get into that. Quickly, uh, we had a good uh, sample yesterday. Let me cycle back to uh, COVID. Sorry for going off the deep end with the history thing, but it is what it is. Y'all got to love me like I, like I am, you know what I'm saying? Um, good sample yesterday, 211 negatives, five positives. 42 to 1 ratio, so we like in that. We dunked to 65 actives in the territory. Um, 29 on St. Croix, 31 on St. Thomas, 5 on St. John. All five active, all five positives from yesterday's data sample was on St. Croix. Okay? So we're cycling all the way back down. Things steadying on the mainland, 10% um, positivity uh, rate. Uh, we got uh, 28,522 folks hospitalized, which ain't bad. Okay, that number had gotten up to, let me see, 
Yeah, when we when we went, uh, how high that number got up to? Over forty thousand, right? Yeah, that number had gotten up to forty, the forty-six thousand range, forty-seven thousand on January tenth, and now it's worked its way back down to twenty-eight thousand. So, a third of that number um, has practically gone. So we do good. Yesterday was down on Wall Street. Down, uh, that was down one hundred fifty-six point six six points. Nine blue chip stocks saw gains. One was flat, and twenty. Uh, saw losses and uh, Nasdaq, S&P 500, and Russell, they were all down, but minimally, Nasdaq down uh, just over half a percent, and S&P and Russell pretty much flat. So that's all we got right now. Uh, we're going to take a break. Hopefully, we'll be hearing from the Commissioner of Agriculture. Be back right after this. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. I'm Deepa Fernandez from Public Radio's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. We'll bring you all the news that happens between the morning headlines and the afternoon wrap-up, plus conversations with authors and artists, stories that affect you, maybe a story about you. So please join us for Public Radio's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. Weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 p.m. Right here on WTJX-FM 93.1. 1A is your place for daily conversation with thoughtful guests and listeners from around the country. Fridays are home to our news roundups, where we answer your questions about the biggest stories of the week. I'm Jen White. This year, we continue to celebrate your freedom to listen, weigh in, and share what you're curious about. And with your help, we'll get to the heart of the story together. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1. 